Bangly bang. That should be the theme tune. On the Empire Podcast this week, Dan Stevens checks out of Danton Abbey and into our pod booth as the guest. While we request permission to talk to the man who requested permission to shake the hand of the daughter of the bravest men he ever met, Mr. William Fickner. All that, plus the usual news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that had to leak our own naked pics because, frankly, no one would hack into our account. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast in association with Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store for free trial and 10%, 10% of your first purchase on new accounts. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code EMPIRE. That offer code again, what's it? Empire. Empire, hooray! Uh, joined by two members of the Empire team this week uh, for Sally Lloyd dealer shenanigans. One of, those, one of those words is real. Uh, trust me. Uh, Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Hello. How Hi. I'm very well. How long did you have to practice that introduction for William Fickner? No, that was wow. just done. Amazing. One take, Hewitt. <laughs> and former InGen employee, he was uh, fired for interfering with the Delophosaurus's uh, Nick Dissemblian. That's all hearsay. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, not another one. Um, yeah, I actually have my own InGen uh, security pass now, thanks to a booth at Comic-Con. I have a Dennis Nedry InGen pass that will allow me access to any embryos. You do look, <laughs> you look so like him that that should come in really Well, I spend a lot of time by the vending machine. Thank you. I think that may be the most threatening thing we've ever heard in the podcast. It allows me access to any embryos. That's... Wow. It's a good chat up line, Chris. Yeah, it really is. It really is good. Right, let's get on with some questions. Uh, you've been sending them in all week via Twitter, via email, via Facebook, via Carrier Pigeon. Let's go with one from uh, Twitter. At Geek Pub Quiz asks, I like this one, best fictional radio DJ in movies, I'd say, Geek Pub Quiz would say, I'd say it's Mini Driver's Debbie Newbury in Gross Point Blank. You know what? At Geek Pub Quiz, I was revisiting Gross Point Blank just the other day. My wife hadn't seen it. Uh, she loved it. Uh, and I kind of have to agree with you. I think uh, she's fantastic in that. And she mm. plays some smooth sounds as well. Yeah. She's got a lovely, smoky, sexy radio voice. Right, mm. that went really crazy at the end there. But yes, up yes. until that point, yes. Mm. It's really hard, actually, because some of the best ones in movies are based on real-life figures. Obviously, Adrian Cronar is a real DJ. Mm-hmm. Howard Stern, who brilliantly played Howard Stern. He did. Also a real person believe it or not so mm-hmm. uh so that, that knocks them out perhaps a, a tip of the cap is due to hard harry i beg your pardon yes in in pump up the volume a back bar, in 90s yes. staple where uh chris newsletter was a pirate radio dj um you know preaching revolution to teenagers essentially yeah and the sequel sheepishly turned down the volume <laughs> after complaints from neighbors <laughs> the first guy that popped into my head for some reason is harry shearer's handsome dan yep from uh-huh. wayne's world too uh-huh. oh yeah and um i mean he is just fantastic yep. he mm-hmm. he really you yep. know pays attention to his guests uh-huh. Uh-huh. and uh, he has mm. a fantastic sidekick in the form of mr scream mm. yep. he just goes ah! Uh-huh. At the end oh, of every show, yeah. please but he's, never wow. do that again. Uh, he's very funny. Mm. Also, uh, Stevie Wayne from The Fog. Oh yes, Chris, is this one of your favourites? Oh yeah, absolutely. Adrian Barbo, fantastic. Talking about smoky radio voices, uh, and she's great. She has her own lighthouse, which is uh, up in California. You can actually go and visit it. I don't know where it is, but you can go and visit it. And uh, she she alerts people to the the evil of the fog. <gasps> mm. I've long thought that we should broadcast the Empire podcast from a lighthouse. Is that feasible? It is feasible. We should look into that. Yeah, that would be fun. We'd need money in a lighthouse but I think both of those can be easily procured mm. Yeah, I'm mm. sure also a word for uh, John Candy in uh, Little Shop of Horrors yes a very good choice yes he's good 
And another word for Clint, uh, good old Clint, play Misty for me. Uh-huh, yes. Very good DJing. Very good DJing, yes. Play some nice uh, light jazz. He's playing a radio DJ uh, in the 70s, and nothing bad has happened to him since. So that's a... It's a first. A rarity. Okay, Billy Super Sounds of the 70s Weekend. Mm. I cannot believe that you have not mentioned Alan Partridge. Alan Partridge. We're getting there, we're getting there. All right. Yeah. I thought it would be the first thing that Nick would mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, his, part- his conversation points are just fantastic. <laughs> what is the worst kind of monger? Yeah. <laughs> iron, obviously. Obviously iron. Uh, yeah, um, K-Billy from K-Billy Super Sounds of the 70s. Stephen Wright, the magnificent Stephen Wright, the voice that is dipped in gold, uh, is you know such a big part of Reservoir Dogs. Mm. And, you know... I was trying to do an impression of him there, but I couldn't because it's so low. It's so like so Gay low. Billy, and super the sounds of the seventies. Yeah, none of us can do it. It's, I just, it, I just uh, did it. You just did. Uh, sorry, Nick yeah. did it spot yeah. on. In <laughs> fact, I thought Stephen Wright had just walked into the pod booth for a second and and, and done it. It's a good topic. It's a. I, I like it. Oh oh oh, and also um, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. Yeah, horror. Uh, we mentioned the fog. Let's not talk about Selma Blair in the remake. Uh, Stevie Wayne. The horror seems to be a good a good genre for. For radio DJs, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe just you know, you can, people can phone in and, and whatnot and threaten you. Uh, there's a there's an excellent one in uh, Toby Hooper's The Chainsaw Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Uh, the heroine of the film is a DJ, Finita Stretchbrock. Stretch, really? Stretch. Okay. Played by uh, Caroline Williams, who actually gets terrorized by Leatherface in her radio station. It's a uh, it's it's yeah it's it's, wow. it's kind of scary. And uh, there's a an excellent film uh, called Pontypool which came out a few years ago. Uh, it's about um, language. Uh, a, a fire is, is communicated within the English language. And uh, the hero is a, a radio DJ. Uh, and the whole thing takes place entirely within a radio station. It's very, very good. Stephen McHattie uh, plays the uh, the hero, Grant Mazzy. And he was actually one of our top... Not, not, one of the, not, not one of the top ones, but he was on the uh, 666 Greatest Horror Movie Characters list that we did last year. Cool. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, there you go. I think Alan Partridge, you know, he... He's not just entertaining, but he makes you think about life's big questions. <laughs> yeah. Why do people insist on keeping their eggs in the fridge? <laughs> Why indeed? And I'm, I'm still, a year later, I'm still using over that one. <laughs> I think it's actually a, a confusion between the US and UK, because I think in the UK, um, egg, if I'm right, eggs have to be pasteurised, and in the US they don't, and therefore they really do have to keep them in the fridge in the US. But people do here, I guess, because they see it on TV and such. Really? Well, I guess we keep our eggs in the fridge because, yeah, you're right, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah, the eggs are in, in the fridge of Ghostbusters. This is indeed a large subject. This is a massive detour. Yeah. Alan's massive detour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow, I think we've definitively answered our question to Geek Pub Quiz's satisfaction. Uh, let's move on now to a question from at Ross T. Miller. Um, I'm guessing the answer to this is no, but have you ever inadvertently found yourself in an everyday situation that resembles a famous movie scene? <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm often having to shoot at people with my gu- uh, guns in each hand, uh, just really? you know, to get my coffee in the morning. No, That's I'll be you honest, live in South that was London, a lie. Yes, yeah, South London is very scary that way. The the one that came to mind when when I saw this question, to be perfectly honest, and this may be very mean, is the line in Wayne's World mm-hmm. uh, where his ex girlfriend gives him a gun rack, and he says, you know, why would you buy me a gun rack? I, I'm I'm misquoting here. Um, <laughs> I don't even have one gun, let alone many guns, which would necessitate a rack. Yes. Um, And sometimes, you know, life throws situations at you where you're kind of in the same situation. It's like, why why would you do this when it doesn't have any bearing 
on me or the real world or mm-hmm. you know civilization at all. Hmm. Interesting. Don't feel f- uh, don't feel bad about the misquoting now. Really? This is the podcast that got Bond spectacularly wrong last week. We should <laughs> we should apologise for that. We were we were talking about Bond, and there was some idle speculation that uh, we were talking about the best under uh, best villainous layers, and I think it was Phil said that uh, in Doctor No. Doctor No, Doctor No's lair rises from the water. Of course it doesn't. It's octopus-y. Of course it doesn't. It's not octopusy. It's oh. Stromberg from The Spy Who Loved Me. Stop getting Bond wrong. Stop getting Bond wrong. Honestly. And he, On a side note, Nick I, I, and I were both part of the Bondathon. We but, oh. that is yeah, that didn't help. No. I didn't come out of the Bondathon thinking now I know Bond. I came out going I need <laughs> a, instant attention, medical attention. Yeah. Um, and I don't know who I am anymore. But I, I was in uh, on holiday in Valencia not too long ago, and the architecture there is really interesting. Have you been to Valencia? I haven't. No. It's really interesting because it all looks like it's been designed by Stromberg. It all looks like weird buildings with legs that look like they're coming out of the ocean and stuff. It's amazing. Do they come alive? Do they move at night when you go to sleep? They're slightly they're like once. Yeah, and Richard Keel jumps out. Of the, I may have just been watching Bond. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, I don't. Have you ever found yourself in a scene that resembles real life? You ever been to? Um, there was that stuff with the Terminator yesterday, but no. Um, hmm. It's kind of a weird one, isn't it? I don't. You know, apart from sitting, you know, we've we've all been in booths at restaurants. Sure, which happens yeah, in, in yeah. movies. I chased um, after a mugger once. That's right, you did. Yeah, that was a bit like a, a cool action movie. <laughs> I was walking along uh, listening to my iPod. It wasn't very cool because I was listening to one of the Lord of the Rings commentary tracks. And uh, <laughs> it was about 11 o'clock at night and a guy grabbed my iPod out of my hand and ran down an alley and I chased him. I got it back. Down oh the God. alley? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was yeah. just like, you know, spider weapon. Or, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Wow. Wow. Did you did you yell at him, stop, that man has crucial information about wargs that I must <laughs> hear. Yes. And then I fired my gun. I may have just been watching Lethal Weapon again. Um, you know, that was uh, yeah. I don't know. That, that probably is a good answer to this, but I don't think I've I don't think I've ever done it. Um, but the other day, this is is true story. This actually happened. Uh, my wife and I were in Crouch End in London, which has a KFC, right? KFC, the Colonel. We love the Colonel, don't we? Sure, his, uh, you do. You know, yeah. His blend of herbs and spices. Secret. Secret special tasty sauce. Uh, so. There we were. We were walking down down the street. We turned the corner, and the KFC, which is across the street, had almost overnight closed. <gasps> closed. Gone. This is a KFC from which I've eaten many succulent, tasty, tender mini fillets. So are you saying this is like a post-apocalyptic scenario? Precisely. You suddenly... It had gone, right? Wow. It had gone. The, the, the signs had gone. Everything had gone. It was just shut down. It was there, there, no trace of KFC. You could faintly see... The, the outline of the former logo on, on the wall. Wow. Uh, and for the first time in my life, and I recommend this, it's very, very therapeutic, I actually fell to my knees and yelled, No! <laughs> this is on a Sunday in Crouch End, and lots of people were like, What the hell is that guy's problem? And, well, if only they knew. If, if only they oh, knew what my problem was. The humanity. And it is incredibly cathartic. I could imagine the camera above me, the, you know, cr- craning up and mm-hmm. pulling mm. back, and maybe rain falling on my face in dramatic slow motion. You what, should try it. Barbara's adagio for strings somewhere absolutely. there in the background. I was yeah. really worried that was going in a soylent green direction. <laughs> <laughs> when you mentioned KFC. You wandered in the back room, and yeah, yeah, that would um, be rad. I wouldn't put me off KFC. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. There was a similar thing when I visited San Francisco, and um, I was with uh, my friend Dave this was some years ago, and we decided to recreate a shot from The Rock. <laughs> So it was the same thing, sort of going, ah, it's the shot where the planes are going overhead. With yes. the flares. Nick Cage yes. is on his knees going, ah. And uh, we did that, and then we got told, asked what we were doing. 
<laughs> ushered on. Um, but that was good fun. I recommend it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to think of better examples. I mean, every example I could think of would be basically from a mumblecore sort of realistic film, yeah. which is no fun at all. Even though you and I grew up in Northern Ireland, are we? we have, no encounters with guns, no encounters no. with violence. Well, you know, what's up about that? Honestly, no, a couple of weird. minor car chases, maybe, but nothing major. Yeah, but that's just... I know, know. that's just everyday life, isn't it? Yeah, just normal. So, I may be in a movie scene next summer. <gasps> yeah, that's pretty exciting. Can you tell oh us which one? Uh, I'm not sure I'm allowed to tell you which one, but it may or may not involve dinosaurs. Can you tell us which one? Former <laughs> in-gen employee, um, Nick Bissemlin? Yeah, no, it's very exciting. Recently, um, got offered uh, to jump into a scene on a movie. So a, I, I, imagine I'll, I imagine I'll be cut. If you can, yeah. If you can, we, we have been cut in the past, haven't we? I've been cut from yeah. Alpha Papa. You've been cut from Alpha, but where were you? We were both cut from. You were waving a sign. We were both cut from. Was it Blitz? Blitz, uh, the Jason Statham, Paddy Considine movie, Blitz. And we were on set, uh, and it was a scene where David Morrissey uh, was playing a slimy politician, and he had to come out and give a speech. And they had lots of journalists around him. And so they went, oh, you're a journalist? <laughs> Barely. But uh, we got into the scene anyway. Nick and I, why were the two of us doing a surface? I have no idea why. They had to send two people down to it. It's Jason Statham so... You know, like, you need two people to handle the state. Yeah. Is that what it was? So we went on the... Uh, we went on and uh, did the scene about 10, 12 times. They gave times. us cameras. Yeah. And we, had, we, we were had, terrible. I mean, we, we made really unconvincing fans. journalists. Awful. Well, Some would say that's yeah. you know. Hey, <laughs> but I think my ear might still be in Alpha Papa. It's at the end when the, when when Alan is driving down through the Norfolk streets. Yeah, and there are a lot of people there with with big signs saying "Go Alan" and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I was given a sign and told be in the scene. But hey. well, I think my ear might still be in it. Check it out, folks. Check it out. If you get Alpha Papa on Blu-ray, they go through scene by scene, frame by frame. And if you can see Nick Assembly and then then do right in, you won't win anything apart from our respect. I'm going to say respect. Sure. Okay, let's go with that. So that's it for your questions this week. If you have any questions for us, uh, you can tweet us. We're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. Chances are we won't see it. Otherwise, you can Facebook us. Uh, where we are, Empire Magazine. Uh, also, you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. Righty-ho. Time now for our first guest. He's one of the greatest 27 percenters on the planet. And by that, I mean he's one of the select group of cracking character actors whose presence in the film usually improves it by 27%. Armageddon, 27% better. His brief cameo in The Dark Knight, it made that film 27% better. Right from the off. Contact, 27% better. Drive Angry, 54% better because he was twice as good in it. Uh, he is, of course, William Fickner, and he's been bumped up to leading man status in the uh, US TV show Crossing Lines, which is about to uh, launch its second season on Amazon Instant Video. And he came into our humble pod booth recently to talk to Nick and Phil, the brothers to Semlian, and yes, improved both of them by 27%. Enjoy. We are really, really thrilled to be joined on the Empire podcast by uh, Mr. William Fickner, or Bill if Bill, that's okay. Bill, Bill Fickner, um, who's come to talk to us about Crossing Lines, the second season of which will be airing soon. A show which has taken you out to Prague for a bunch of time. And I understand you're going back to Prague because you love it and your family's now settled there. And uh, to make it even better, your your friend Kim Coates joined the show. In the no, season. he's not my friend and I really don't <laughs> want to talk about him anymore. Um, I was just with him in upstate New York. I took him back to my hometown just literally a week and a half ago before we came here. And uh, I... You know, it's been a while since I've I've hung out with Coatsy, like going somewhere for three or four days. I can't hang with him. I'm telling you right now, the guys he's he's hard driving. I I can't hang with him. I'm I was begging him to go to sleep. I'm like, please, not another bottle. Um, <laughs> no, Coatsy's great, and and 
you know, the first season of the show, uh, we were shooting a week or two and, and the creator of the show and uh, the executive producer of the show were giving me a, a lot of backstory and talking about this character that was going to come on later in the season. And they described the character and I, I listened to him for 10 minutes and I said, it's Kim Coates and you got to hire him right now. <laughs> so they said, wow, we're going to LA. And they went and they met Kim and, you know, he was there. I have my own personal reasons. I want him there. I want to hang out with my bro. Uh, but he came in and he's, you know, I think he's one of the highlights of the show. Do you uh, do you follow the show Sons of Anarchy? And has he told you how it finishes? Yeah, yeah and I'm not telling you. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're not recording but, this uh, or anything. You know. Coatsy rides and he rode before the show and, you know, now he's got a couple of big Harleys and I just listen to him pull up in the driveway like, you're so weird. Turn that thing off, would you please? <laughs> i got to ask you about this because you mentioned when you came in for the web chat a couple of years ago, um, working with Jerry Bruckheimer, one thing you're guaranteed, aside, aside from a colossal budget, is, is a great craft services. Oh, food. beyond. And, uh, and, and since I saw you last, I, I got to work with, uh, I just saw Jerry last week, actually. I, I got to work with him on, on The Lone Ranger, um, which is... You know, come on. I mean, like I said last time, the catering on the big budget Hollywood films is just amazing. There's a few caterers out there that, you know, they're cooking. And the the Lone Ranger had, a, I think, a daily crew of about 250 people. Um, we shot in every iconic location in the American Southwest, uh, Monument Valley and Canyon de Chez and Moab, Utah, and all these just amazing places. You know, in the middle of nowhere, it's like, what are we having today? Rack of lamb and lobster tail? Okay. <laughs> Where did that come from? Hey, did you see that helicopter? It's it's more than the food to work with Jerry, that's for sure. But it is, uh, it is a, a little... You have to get over it right away because otherwise you're going to eat it. You eat too much of it. Yeah. So he doesn't yeah. just send you the script and the menu. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago, working on The Lone Ranger, I asked my little one for the first time. He was 10 and a half years old. Would you like to, would you like to come to the set? Because I had that whole three hour of hair and makeup and the, the lip and the hair and, and and the costume, I thought this would be kind of cool. So this was the first time that I ever invited him to a set, and and he said sure, and he he came in and I got all ready and I got a bunch of snacks. Remember, I was telling you good snacks. I uh, got got all the snacks in the trailer and had a beautiful trailer and and he walked in and I'm like, his name is Van. I said, what do you think, buddy? And he says to me, where's Johnny? <laughs> um, is Johnny here? Is he, he here today? Time. Yeah, is Johnny, Johnny Depp here today? And I'm like, what do you think about the whole look? It was great. Dad. Is, John, is Johnny here today? Is the Lone Ranger here? And I'm like, okay, here we go. I'm curious, uh, do you pay much attention to the internet? Because there, there tend to be rumors that swirl around you sometimes. Uh, there was a rumor that you were going to be playing Shredder in uh, Turtles. And there was also rumors uh, when The Dark Knight came out that you were in the frame to eventually play the Penguin and the Riddler. Well, one or the other, not both. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, somebody mentioned that to me one time. I I, I knew nothing about um, that. Uh, the Riddler sounds like a really good time, yeah. uh, but uh, no, I didn't. I don't think that's any any real conversation that happened, except in somebody's mind, or maybe that was a real conversation. I didn't know about it, but I don't know yeah. about it. As far as the Shredder goes, I play a, a, a guy named Eric Sachs. Yeah, so it's a nice day out today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. And I've said, what's the, what's the strangest thing you've read about yourself? There's a lot of things I work on that I, most television that I work on, I don't watch. Um, I've worked on a, a, at least a few films that I've, I have never seen. And I certainly don't 
go online to to kind of look myself up and figure out what's being said about me. I so I don't. I, I don't. You know, usually when I do a, a press junket uh, like yesterday, I met a bunch of. Uh, uh, really kind folks and talk to them and they'll tell me things <laughs> and I'm like oh, do I really want to hear this um, yeah. I mean, but, I, but I don't I, I don't so I, I honestly don't really uh, I, I there's even a there's a couple of fan sites um, that uh, are, are very flattering but I don't I mean you have a very devoted fan base that's I, really cool I was wondering if you're aware that there are William Fickner Christmas cards which people can buy for five dollars no come shipping. on no this is serious come on really <laughs> yeah I was wondering if you'd ever received one. No, no, but I, I heard about a William Fickner pillowcase once, and I thought, I, <laughs> you know, my wife doesn't even want that. So I, I don't know, I don't know. Actually, you know, um, on my fiftieth birthday, I got a, I got a calendar. Almost every day, it had something, and I don't know who did this research. I didn't remember. I don't remember that much about my life, and somebody made a calendar. Twelve months photos little tiny photos here there spread out bigger photos facts about my existence and i thought <laughs> wow that's um i don't my mom doesn't know that much and and i'm her boy it's a little odd it's a little odd it's a little odd but but you know what uh you know i i i reached out and thanked them very much and uh there you go it comes from a place of love yeah clearly you, yeah you were in Baywatch. I did an episode of Baywatch. I did not know that until until very recently, i.e. today. Um, and I watched the clip. You uh, did. You. Well, you're in. The, you dominate the episode. You play. A, you play a bad guy called Howard Ganza, I believe. God, and, yes. And you've got this thing going on with Erica Laniac's character. Yes. And it culminates in you throwing what looks to be a very obvious Erica Laniac doll <laughs> model kind of replica into the into the harbor. And then you get taken down at the end and you wear a lot of shirts with the top button done up, but no tie, which is now very fashionable, but probably wasn't so much back then. So I know, it was a horror show. Um, God, you know what I remember about that is that one of the last scenes I shot was when I got taken out into the water by like a very large guy. And they're like, so he's going to run down. And I'm looking around like, Where, where's the stunt man? <laughs> And um, and uh, you know it's it's the harbor it's where the boats come in it's this is not where you, you know you're gonna go do a casual swim and I'm like we're going in there like with the multicolored water but I remember that it, uh, I went in yeah I got hit he hit you pretty hard I wanted to ask about Go I love your scene in Go the dinner scene consolidated confederated products confederated products it's yeah. a different kind of product <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great monologue and uh, did you get offered any sales jobs after that no. <laughs> No, uh, uh, just you know, I, I remember how uh, how much I loved uh, the time that we spent shooting shooting go. Doug Lyman is is so quiet in his own way, and we'll pick up that camera and hop in the back seat of a car and just just get these like crazy intimate shots and and the whole thing, the whole dinner. You know, Jane Krakowski and Jay Moore and Scott Wolf sitting around that dinner table and. I, I remember when I read it the first time, and I have to tell you, I, I have seen Go. The first time that I saw Go, uh, I was I was really depressed because I thought, "What were you thinking about?" I mean, I was really didn't like what I did in the movie, and I saw it again, and and I don't know why, because I, it's just one of those things where I had such a great time, and then when I watched it, I, I was so unsure about my own thing in the movie, but I, I saw it again after that years later, and and it's one of. Uh, 
Yeah, it's probably one of my favorite things. Go oh, cool. I've yeah. got to say that your scene in the bedroom with Jay Moore is just one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen in a film. It's just, I mean, yeah. I, mm. It comes, why, I, let me tell you, I, I, I remember that night because we were shooting that. It was like four o'clock in the morning in this neighborhood that was pretty close to LAX, the airport. And I, I was flying back to New York to see my, my boy, Sam. I've been out there working on this and I was I was going home, even if it was for 48 hours, I was going home. Well, Jay kept walking out. It was the last scene of the night. Jay kept walking out of that bathroom. He couldn't keep a straight face. He'd look at me and he'd go, <clears throat> and I'm like, Jay, after 10 takes, I said, shut up, stop right now. I, I'm, you're going to make me miss that plane. Walk out of that bathroom and keep a straight face. I swear to God, Jay. Um, and he did. We shot that whole thing, bouncing on the bed. And, the bed bounce. Yeah. Did you go and work on that over the weekend? It's yeah. just an amazing <laughs> thing. I just... <laughs> Yeah. Another film that I think you're absolutely hilarious in, although I gather from one interview that, that it wasn't entirely comedic, was Drive Angry. Your performance in that is amazing. I particularly like your line. Um, you, you flash an FBI badge and say, Federal Bureau of Get the Fuck Out of My Way. Yeah, <laughs> from a guy that wanted to be in the FBI when he was growing up, right? I, I, I went to college. I have a, you know, a bachelor's degree in uh, criminal justice. That's kind of what I was thinking about at the time. I'm not sure why I was thinking about that but you know the funny thing is that I I probably was halfway through my sophomore year my second year and I think I started you know I remember getting the inkling of I don't think I'm not sure I'm really going to do this but I was at college and it was pretty freaking amazing and I wasn't going to give that up so I, I finished and I graduated and then uh, then moved to New York and changed the path but you know speaking of drive angry I I I I so wish that, you know, I mean, uh, let's see, if you saw Drive Anger, that makes like 18 people. Um, <laughs> but I, really, what a great time working yeah. on that. And, and as far as characters go, you know, absolutely one of my favorite. It's quite rare that there is a Nick Cage film like that in which he is kind of out crazied in a good sense of the word by another actor but you are just incredible in that. Your, your character is so kind of over the top but in a brilliant way. And that yeah. scene where you're surfing on top of a car. Um, oh yeah, the uh, <laughs> or or driving in the in the truck. I said to Patrick Lucier the day you know when I'm going up to that scene, I'm driving in that truck, and Casey and the Sunshine Band are playing, and I was I was I had I had was in my hotel room the day before, and I had the just the little iPod on, and um, and uh, you know just thinking about the rhythm of driving in the truck. It's really a non-speaking scene. But it was I had it on shuffle and, and that song came on, the Casey and the Sunshine band. And all of a sudden it just was like I, I showed up the next day and, and I said to uh, Patrick, I said, Listen, do me a favor, you gotta you gotta play that tune. Trust me on this. You should put it in the movie. So there was no place to put uh, you know, just my, my iPhone. So we got a guy, we got one of the prop guys to sit on the floor in the front and then and when they yelled action, right before they yelled action, when they yelled roll, he hit play and he held my iPhone with Casey and the Sunshine Band playing. So I could have the... Dun, 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 dun. I don't know. I love that movie. <laughs> I read uh, in an interview with you recently that you watch The, Gu uh, the Graduate at least once a year. It's just, it's my favorite film. Uh, I just think it's a, a perfect movie. The first time that I saw The Graduate, I, I had my this girl in high school jenny my you know my first teen love and and you know one of those ones where you just you, you can't think about like not seeing her every day and her family went away on vacation for 
a week or two or something in um, in the summertime, and I was like just completely heartbroken. And I went to the local holiday movie theater near my house, and I don't know what film I went to see, but as I was walking out, um, you know, which we often did when we were kids, there are other movies playing, and if you know the usher's not looking, just you know, hop in that movie theater. <laughs> And I noticed that this film was just starting called The Graduate and nobody saw me and I popped my head in there. I, I, I kid you not, I I think I went back for the next like five days in a row. Mm. I just saw it every day. I just kept, I was like, wow, uh, this is just an amazing movie. The, the music, it's so romantic. It's uh, crazy. Have you had a chance to talk to Dustin Hoffman about it? No, never. I never met him. Uh, I'd like to, you know. You know, especially after Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I mean, who wasn't in love with Catherine Ross after The Graduate or, or, you know, Butch Cassidy? And I've never met... I've never met anybody involved with the film. There's somebody else who I'm curious whether you've met him is Christopher Walken, because I'm sure you've been told that you have a Christopher Walken-esque quality somewhat. I, I have been, been told that. I, I, I'll i take that as a compliment. In a good way. It is yeah, I, I'd like him. I, I'd love to be in something with him. I've never met him. Mm. Um yeah, you know, I hope he doesn't take this as a, uh, you know, as an insult, but I'd love to play like a father-son thing with him. I would love to see that. I'll cut my hair like, you know, like his and stand it up on top and <laughs> Do you have a favorite uh, walk-in performance? Uh yeah, The Dead Zone. Oh, oh great yeah. Film. Yeah, great just film. I, I, that's you know, I, I actually think that's the best of the Stephen King uh uh you know, books that were made into films. Uh, it's just it's it's a, it's a great book but he his performance in that just completely sells you know you know the thing that was that to me that really made him stand apart was his his emotional depth mm. um you know we certainly got that on um 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 what's what's the big war movie i'm thinking of we won the oscar for it best supporting oh, the actor. Deer hunter? yeah the deer hunter i mean christopher walken's emotional depth in that it was just i mean i found that as a young actor, probably more inspiring than than anything or anyone, mm. you know, especially in the dead zone. I mean, he's just he's completely affected by this thing that's hit him in a mm. way that and not many people do it like that. Mm. Yeah. It is a chilling, chilling movie, and not one that people when they talk about David Cronenberg, it's not usually one of the films that comes up early on in the conversation. But it's a great movie. It's a great movie, and Martin Sheen plays the kind of the opposite to President Bartlett yeah. in the West Wing, doesn't he? The sort of Republican. Did you get to, to to meet the main when you were on the West Wing? Did you get to meet the main the main uh, cast when you were there? Uh, yeah, um, because I think uh, you know our paths crossed in a couple of scenes, hallway scenes or something like that. It's very you know it's very it's it's interesting because I you know that was at a time when I you know started working in film and uh, and I got an offer to play this guest spot on there and Glenn Close was offered to play you know one of the other judges and and um uh so you know the western was you know kind of cool and I, but I, when i read it you know i think i was most attracted to it because it was a guy that was politically in the opposite direction of of me um but uh it was pretty impressive because the the white house set that they built and with with martin sheen playing the president was uh just you know you gave you a little chill you thought wow i'm there and he's certainly you know when martin walks on set you know he he owns it you know he owns that that office and that role and 
the responsibility of playing that. I mean, you really felt that in a in a very positive way. You've said that the second best day of your life was when the TV show Invasion was cancelled. <laughs> we, our colleague James, is a huge fan of that TV show, and he, he's he's downstairs, and he said you have to ask uh, why. <laughs> that was um, such a happy day. Well, I what, what I did say was it was the um, you know someone asked me once about like career highlights and and the second career highlight was the day that invasion was canceled uh, all i'll say about that is that uh you always want to work in an environment that's uh that's positive and 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 honest and uh invasion didn't uh uh unfortunately didn't start off that way uh, and that's the sort of uh circumstance that uh nobody ever wants to be in and and i certainly didn't want to so the day that uh, invasion, I'll never forget the day I was driving with my wife in a car. For some reason, she was driving. I don't know why. And a call came in, and I knew who it was. And I said, hello. And they said, all good things come to an end. And I was like, <laughs> yes. I didn't say it out loud. I was very diplomatic about it. But what I will say is this, that later that evening, my wife opened up the bedroom window and looked out into the backyard and said to me, when I was probably on my like fourth bottle of red, as I was, she said, "Would you turn down that Leonard Skinner?" Because I was just having a personal party. Was it Freebud? You had on. It could have been Sweet Home Alabama. I don't you know, but whatever it was, it was Leonard Skinner, and it was loud. <laughs> probably give me three steps, and um, uh, it's just one of those things where I, uh, it was time to go, and um, I felt like I got a gift. I'm guessing it was because of the craft services table. It didn't have enough corn chips on it. You know, <laughs> right right then and there, I'm out. I'm out. You don't have corn chips, I'm out. I'm out. You leave me alone. We have to ask before you go, what was the number one experience of your career? Oh, that's a tough thing. I, 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 What I will say, I've had the good fortune of, of a couple of times to work on, on stories that were based on real events. Uh, the Perfect Storm and Black Hawk Down. Uh, it's hard to pick out one. I mean, listen, the seven months working on the Lone Ranger with Gore Verbinski and Johnny and Army, ugh, uh, I remember every day is just an incredible day. But, but you know, uh, to work on The Perfect Storm, to work on Black Hawk Down, to really uh, honor people that, that lived through those experiences and, um, and some that are no longer here, uh, there's something special about that. And, uh, you know, we all took it seriously on both films. And um, you know, you walk away from that, and you think, I, I, I hope, uh, I hope we honored who we meant to. Mm. Great, thank Lovely you so stuff. much, Bill. Thank you. Thanks for coming in, Bill. Thanks, guys. That's fun. Lovely, Bill Fickner. Hooray! Hooray for Bill Fickner. Um, Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> uh, and now here is Ali Plum with this week's Squarespace Science Bit. Hello and welcome to the Science Bit of the Empire Podcast, where Ali the Editor, that's me by the way, tells you just a little bit more about our sponsor Squarespace and how to make use of their free trial and discount deal. Thank you for listening. Always appreciated. Anyway, if you're not already in the know or missed Chris saying it earlier, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio or online store for a free trial. That means no money. And 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code EMPIRE. You want more details, though, and that is understandable. So just for you, here are a few more reasons why you should use Squarespace. For starters, Squarespace is very easy to use indeed, as well as being user-friendly and doing all the tricky stuff for you. Search engine optimization, hosting, and making your site mobile, tablet, portable device ready. Just for starters, they've also got a huge vault of pre-prepared designs and style options to be getting on with 
that you can tweak to your taste later on. Sign up for a year and get a free domain name. Yes! Enjoy an on-hand support team working 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for you. And this is all for $8 a month, which, as I mentioned earlier, a free trial and 10% off your first purchase with the Empire Podcast's very own offer code, which is sing it with me. Don't sing it, please. I'm not going to sing it. Empire via squarespace.com. Again, thank you for listening. You are awesome people. I appreciate every one of you in an individual and unqualifiably wonderful way. Goodbye for now. Okay, now it's time to delve into this week's movie news. But first, we're going to start with the delve into last week's movie news because, uh, rather unforgivably, a massive oversight from us, we neglected to talk about the late, great Richard Attenborough on last week's podcast. No idea why, but there you go, we did. So apologies for that. Uh, A huge, huge loss, but a tremendous life and a tremendous career, Helen, wouldn't you say? I would, absolutely. I mean, he was in the business for, what, 60 years more than... Um, and uh, and did sterling work both in front of the camera and behind it. Um, I think Brighton Rock is probably one of his most enduring uh, roles himself. Uh, and then, you know, the, the likes of Gandhi um, behind the camera. I mean, I think in this booth there's a, there's a huge amount of affection for his portrayal of uh, John Hammond in Jurassic Park. It's not his probably toughest role ever, um, but it is one that he just became indelibly associated with for a whole generation. I think he's one of those actors who every generation has a different Richard Attenborough that they love. For us, it was maybe uh, Jurassic Park. For the you know people a few years older than us, it's it's his role as directing Gandhi. Uh, a few years older than that, and you get into his his war movies and his his great performances. It's it's just an incredible uh, an incredibly good life, well lived. Nick, as a former InGen employee, mm. is he John Hammond for you? Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, he delivers probably cinema's greatest damn, I would say. He's terrific in that role. He's really great. Very different to the um, to the character in the book. Mm-hmm. He's a lot darker. But he's, you know, he obviously and played... munched. He obviously plays Santa in Miracle on 34th Street. He's great in that role. Which he's amazing in. And John Hammond is kind of like Santa gone wrong, a little bit. But it's, mm. it's great. Both of those performances are brilliant. And as a director, you know, so somebody was tweeting around the call sheet for Gandhi, the still the biggest scene in terms of number of extras and just the pure logistics of it. It keeps going up, doesn't it? I keep, I, initially I heard 300,000, then you hear 400,000. It'll soon be half a million people mm. in that scene. Uh, but yeah, so half a million people could say, we were directed by Dickie Attenborough. Mm. Uh, he was great. And, and uh, did anyone, did you ever meet him? I, I never met him. I never had the pleasure. But from all accounts, everyone I know who has met him said he was just the loveliest guy. He would just take time out for you. Uh, Stuart Hazeldean, the uh, screenwriter and director of Exam, said that when he was like 22, he'd just finished a student short and he just happened to see uh, Dickie Attenborough down the street and ran home, got his tape, ran back and, and thrust it into his hands and said, would you, would you watch this? And you know, was, was, was greeted with nothing but chivalry and, and, and politeness and it may not have necessarily got him anywhere but at least he was nice to him which That's a lot right. of people aren't uh, but yeah fantastic I mean it was interesting he had lots of people talk about him in terms of being this really lovely jolly funkular figure who called everyone darling and you know he you know there was that you know very much you know dicky and everyone had nicknames but I think he had a really interesting darker side as well if you look at the you know, look at Pinky and Brighton Rock and you also look at uh, John Christie and Ten Rillington Place mm. these are dark roles mm. and some of his movies as directors were pretty dark Bridge Too Far one of the, for me one of the great uh, anti-war films fantastic you know it's interesting to take a film about an allied defeat and of course it's got a great all-star cast as well but also mm. uh, Magic the great 
really, really disturbing psychodrama with Anthony Hopkins uh, as a man seemingly possessed by his ventriloquist's dummy. Yeah, really, really, really good. I mean, he was he was endlessly versatile, I think, both in front of and behind the camera. Definitely. Shadowlands is a really under- underrated film. Gorgeous. With, yes. with Anthony Hopkins again. Just really moving film, which yeah. I, I've only seen once, but I, I really want to go back and revisit that. Yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, I, I'm not so sure I want to revisit it because I think I cried enough the first time. But, you know, still, <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a heartbreaking film. Heartbreaking film. And a heartbreaking loss. Uh, he was 90 years old, uh, just about to turn 91. Uh, but he leaves a phenomenal legacy. Richard Attenborough. Okay, so now let's talk about things that have happened this week in the old movies. Well, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, okay, yeah. Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, is one of our favourite people in the world, as you know. And he has been tweeting for years now uh, rumours and, and <laughs> mentions of something that he might do with, with DC, for DC Comics, that he might play some kind of superhero-related role. Um, in recent months, those, those rumours have begun to narrow down somewhat towards Shazam, which is like Banana Man, the story of a, a young kid who, um, in, by saying the word Shazam, uh, is imbued with uh, legendary powers uh, belonging to various gods and becomes essentially a sort of a super ha- Superman figure. So he is a little kid who swells up to Superman status. Um, and his major adversary is a guy called Black Adam, uh, now, there was some confusion or some speculation as to which of those roles uh, The Rock would be more suited for, because quite frankly, he'd, he'd make a great her- super heroic Shazam. Obviously, we'd need either a small child or a heck of a lot of performance capture for him to play uh, the, the little boy at the heart of it. But um, he will, in fact, be Black Adam. He will, in fact, be the sort of the anti-heroic figure. Um, in the comics, his story has, has changed somewhat over the years and, and obviously gone through many uh, twists and turns, but uh, it's probably going to be the case that he will be a former holder of, of Shazam's power, who's been become somewhat twisted um, since since kind of growing out of it. And, um, and he may be a, a sort of a redeemable villain, which is uh, promising. I've also seen reports overnight that this will not be tied into the sort of the Justice League movies. It won't be bound by the same, you know, rather dark and gritty and faux realistic tone of those movies. This one could be a little bit lighter and a little bit more fun because quite frankly, I think you would struggle enormously to fit Shazam in with the Man of Seal that we've seen on screen so far. So uh, it looks like the speculation is over. We still don't know what order these films are going to come in. We still don't know where Shazam is. Certainly it was one of the films being talked about just a couple of days ago um, because uh, Warner's registered the domain name for it. But we don't know whether that means it'll be 2016, 17, 18, 19, or indeed 2020. Or even if they'll get round to it. Well, this is true. I mean, it may still be, you know. So we don't yet know who is going to be playing Shazam. No. It no, won't be, it's just it won't be The Rock Johnson. playing both roles. <laughs> that would actually Hasselhoff be excellent. In, uh, Knight Rider style. <laughs> oh, one um, with a moustache and one with... One, one with an evil goatee like Garfey. Oh my God, that nice. nice. The evil, evil goatee is, is the traditional signifier of evil it as is. seen in the Star Trek episodes. Slicked back hair yeah. and an evil goatee and I'm on board I've interviewed film. two people this week, Roger Moore and uh, David Hasselhoff, who've both played evil doppelgangers. Um, of themselves but yeah no I mean it's uh, yeah this is interesting I got a bit confused yesterday because I overheard uh, a conversation in the office and thought The Rock had signed up to play Blackadder and that, that would be <laughs> that would be a very special day amazing Vin Diesel as Baldrick <laughs> presumably but yeah this is, uh, it'd be interesting to see him playing a kind of a darker character because I guess apart from Pain and Gain mm. he's he's played pretty squeaky clean people so far so it'd be interesting seeing him playing a more villainous kind of thing 
Yeah, although he did tweet the anti-hero yesterday, so he's probably going to turn out to be good in the end. And uh, yeah, <laughs> he'll shave the evil goatee off. He probably, yeah, he'll shave it off. Maybe just leave a a, a, a tinge of a moustache uh, on there. Yeah, Daniel Cutmore, who plays Colossus in the X Men movies, um, has been fairly upfront on Twitter. He's been he's been lobbying hard to play Shazam. Okay, I can see uh, that. You know, and uh, in, in the same way that Matthew Modine has been campaigning very hard to play Doctor Strange. And uh, it's very interesting that people are now doing this. But I don't know whether they think it's really going to get them anywhere. Perhaps not. But, I mean, it's it's interesting that this film of all films from the DC universe is coming together. Um, and uh, I have to say, I, I have read the, the rebooted comic of this that they did a few years back, and it is really quite charming. And, you know, there is a sort of a wish fulfillment angle for, you know, a small kid who's been bullied and, and worse. You know, as, as I remember the comic, I read it a couple of years ago, but he's, he's basically homeless. Um, and he, you know, gets the chance to kind of become a big hero and that's a pretty awesome kind so of story kind of like for a superhero version of big yeah kind of i mean really he, you know he, he the power comes and goes obviously so he, he doesn't stay big for mm. the whole movie as it were but um but I yeah okay so yeah we'll, we'll see what happens i i'm saying nothing because i've been told that i, I have a marvel bias mm. you do chris yeah uh, yeah you, <laughs> Unlike you, are, me. you are wearing a down with dc t-shirt <laughs> and burning an effigy of batman I would never burn an effigy of Batman. I would. Only but that loser Nightwing. <laughs> <gasps> Shall I no. throw out a few uh, newsy yeah, items? Yeah, go on then. Newsy, newsy morsels. Well, the big news this week is that Hodor is taking a sabbatical from Game of Thrones for a year. Yeah, and Bran as well. Yeah, I have a statement from him here. Um, Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that clears um, it all up. But uh, yeah, the uh, Brandon Stark and Hodor, the, obviously the characters, those are not the actors' names, um, but they, they are both... Um, going to be off Game of Thrones for a year because the story in the show has now caught up with where it is in the book. Almost, yeah. There's a little bit more of their stuff to come uh, from the most recent book, but I think that would put them well ahead of everybody else if they mm. if they got to that right now. So it does make a certain amount of sense, I guess. Mm. So I guess they're kind of pausing the, the mystic, more mystical yeah. strands of the story. Sorry to go back to the Shazam thing, and don't worry, I'm not going to let my Marvel bias show, but this is a very interesting area we're getting into now if if DC go through with their threat uh, if DC go through with their promised slate yeah. of 8 or 9 million films and Marvel have their 10 or 20 million films over the next sure. few years as well are we going to have this you know as an actor right imagine you're an actor imagine you're a bit like me you're a bit hunky you're 6 foot 4 you know devilish good looks <laughs> very much like natural you. fit for a comic book movie right yeah uh, you're going to have to make pretty, pretty hard decisions aren't you very very soon you're, you're going to have to go Marvel or DC you know, do I want to go and commit to, you know, Superman? Hey, or there's still the hope that, you know, the likes of Chris Evans give us that you can play more than one superhero in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but and not canonically. Not, not in the same universe, you're right. Mm. Okay, but there's, you know, potentially somebody who's worked for DC could work for Marvel mm-hmm. um, in, in, in the universe. I do think, though, that, yeah, if you are a hunky six foot four guy with the perfectly ripped scores first uh, sure I'll have your number second of all um, (laughs) I think that it would behove you to make sure that you're in good shape because quite frankly there's going to be a heck of a lot of superhero jobs coming up and uh, it probably wouldn't hurt Chris is currently waving yeah we we were given this uh, just before we came into the podcast uh, booth Uh, it is a standee a mini standee of a topless Dan Stevens 
uh, from the guest, which we'll be discussing later on. He is very much now our spirit animal at the moment. He has given us strength and succor. Um, I said succor. Uh, now, uh, Dan Stevens, I mean, we hear it later in the interview as well. Mm. You know, I actually said, him, would you play a superhero? It's, you know, if that's something that you would consider doing. But imagine, okay, you're Dan Stevens, right? And someone offers you a DC thing. Yeah. Now, if I take this, does that preclude me from doing, for example, I don't know, Captain America when Chris Evans hangs up the shield? So, uh, you know, these are big decisions. Would they cast a non-American as Captain America? They cast a non-American as Superman. But then again, yes, Superman they did, is, and uh, Spider-Man and Batman. But indeed. he doesn't have America in his name. True, and Superman, of course, is not even American. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, so take that, pedant. pedant. Take that, <laughs> take that, pedants. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Anyway, sorry, Nick. What does Sukal mean? Uh, it means uh, comfort. Good word. I'm going to use that in Scrabble later. Mm, good. Um, okay, well, let's go back to my, my fun bits. Sorry. Um, <laughs> sorry. Nick's fun bits. George Clooney is is um, is apparently attached to direct a movie called Hack Attack, which is the kind of movie title we would come up with. <laughs> I, I can't believe that's going to be the actual title. That sounds like a Chuckle Brothers episode. Um, but I'm sure <laughs> it's going to be good, George. It's apparently going to be about the phone hacking scandal which um, I believe George has a, a personal stake in. He, he has had his own privacy invaded uh, many times, and he wrote an angry letter about mm-hmm. the Daily Mail recently. Mm-hmm. So it's a subject he feels quite strongly about. But yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, that, that is going to happen. That seems like it's thoroughly in his wheelhouse. He makes really good films about tough political subjects. Um, this is a sort of a good night and good luck for our era, I think, potentially. So it could be really, really good indeed. Uh, as a big old lefty... Right. I'm very excited by that. Oh, I think it will make a good story. Yeah. But Hack Attack? Yeah, hack I, think, attack. I think I think honestly the name could maybe do with a little bit of work. Unless he's going a sort of a... Coen Brothers-esque you know, Coen comedy. Brothers-esque comedy approach well, to if, it. If they are, they should add an exclamation mark, at least one exclamation yeah, mark. Yeah, like Hail Caesar. Just I wish it was a, a Chuckle Brothers <laughs> movie. I really wish. He was playing Paul. Right. And if we could get someone else to play Barry, it'd yeah, be amazing. Ben Affleck. Uh, but yeah, it, it sounds very exciting. And George, I, I hacked into his voicemail yesterday. He sounds very excited about it as well. <laughs> also, uh, George, you're, you're out of milk. Um, as your lawyer, Chris. <laughs> and uh, one one further uh, thing Ooh, yeah. from me. Uh, Ghost in the Shell is going to be a live action movie. They've been talking a long time about doing Akira. I remember yeah. writing an article about six years ago about the Akira live action movie with was it Garrett Henland? It was somebody like that attached. He but, was at one point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that has still not happened. But now they're talking about Ghost in the Shell, which is coming out in Blu-ray very soon, by the way. An anniversary thing. And uh, Margot Robbie is apparently attached to this live-action iteration. Ooh. She does look like a gorgeous manga character. So I can I can somewhat buy that. And she's fantastic in Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, maybe that's a good, new, good news for it. And she's currently playing Jane in Tarzan. So yeah. Yeah, not a first to a... Not a first to a big role. What is the plot of Ghost in the Shell? It's about um, basically kind of a cyborg police force uh, investigating kind of tech crimes. It, it, the manga itself is quite long running, um, but there's so there's a lot there for, to draw from. Is there a tentacle in it? <laughs> there usually is. I've not Spoiler. seen it, but um, I presume she's playing a tentacle. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, yeah, let's go with that yeah. she looks so much like a tentacle of course um, it, just very very quickly uh, good news this week good news bad news good news Mike, Magic Mike XXL has started shooting bad oh, yes. news How to Train Your Dragon 3 has gone back to 2017 so we're going to have to wait a bit longer for our next uh, bit of Toothless it reminds me actually I, I need to 
get out there to join the set of Magic Mike XXL. Um, yeah, my goodness, Chris, what are they going to do with that? Well, they're waiting for you. They've got the pole all greased up. And yeah, they have. <laughs> Stephen said to me, Soderbergh, he said, uh, we were going to have you in the last film, but we didn't want to show the other guys up. I know. Joe Manganiello must be like really relieved flabs as I call them but they've managed to get a camera with a wide angle enough lens so you're good to go on this one Um, absolutely it's a really interesting one what's what's the title again Magic Mike XXL XXL XXL. yep two X's okay Um, but it's an interesting one because Steven Soderbergh has obviously retired from directing officially but he's the cinematographer and editor that's right yes so he's on set constantly yes and he's going to be in post-production constantly. Yes. But he's not directing. No, Gregory Jacobs, who's his long-time uh, first AD, I think, is directing this film. So uh, I bet he yeah. still yells cut occasionally. He can't help himself. Cut! Sorry. Sorry. Director Tourette's. Habits! Yeah, there's lots of other interesting stuff as well. But we're going to move on because, you know, we've got other things to do. Other we've had things to cover. Our second guest this week is the guest. He is our spirit animal. Here he is. Look at it again, Helen. Topless Dandy. Gosh. Dan Stevens. Gosh. Uh, Dan Stevens made his name as Matthew Crawley on Downton Abbey before a car crash put pay to that or his character in the show. Spoiler. Spoiler, but you know, come on. Uh, before heading off to the silver screen, he's everywhere over the next few months. You'll see him opposite Big Liam Neeson in A Walk Among Tombstones later this month, and then as Sir Lancelot in Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb. But first, he's brilliant, charismatic, and terrifying, a ready-made movie star as David, a super soldier with scores to settle in Adam Wingard's action comedy, horror comedy, uh, Le Guest. He came in earlier this week to talk to Phil Desemlian and myself, and unlike poor Susanna Reid, we didn't ask him if he got the role by beating off lots of American men. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined in the pod booth by Dan Stevens, star of The Guest. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thanks. Good, good, good. Love the movie. Let's get the brown nosing out of the way nice and early. Uh, I tweeted last night after I saw it, I said, love The Guest. Uh, and then I said something very complimentary about you, but we've done enough brown nosing already. <laughs> and then someone tweeted back to me, at Simon underscore Linzel said, my 74-year-old mum's interested on account of Downton think the guest may be a bit much for her. What would you say to someone? A bit much in that it's... Yeah, it's what, maybe it's a bit a bit violent, too... maybe a bit killy, a bit stabby. Well, it's a little bit more violent than your average episode of Downton. <laughs> um, but I think she might get something out of it. I think yeah. it would be interesting to take your 74-year-old mum and see what she makes of it. Um, why not? Blow maybe on. some sort of experiment go blow, along. And... Blow her mind. Maybe yeah. it's not violent enough for her when she comes out. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I was wondering what, an episode, what would happen in an episode of Downton directed by Adam Wingard. <laughs> what well, that would look like well I did once do an episode of Marple directed by Nicholas Winding Refn oh my god you were in that episode I was in oh my that god. episode yeah um, he wanted to do a kind of hammer horror meets Marple um, and it was one of the strangest sort of mashups I think ITV have ever attempted really <laughs> yeah I don't think he's directed Marple since but he hasn't <laughs> um, he hasn't done too badly yeah <laughs> what was his uh, most unusual bit of direction that you remember from that Less rather more real. Less rather more real. You're in Marple. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. <laughs> What's a typical Adam Wingard direction? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. He's he's just got such a delightful kind of. He's got this great Alabama accent that you know uh, infused a bit of David in the guest. To be honest, a bit of bit of Southern charm goes a okay. long way. Um, yeah, yeah. But. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, I, 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 something I've enjoyed developing over the last couple of years is, is relationships with this, uh, you know, one or two different directors who you have a certain shorthand with, mm-hmm. and so actually they don't need to come up and say things like Nicholas Winding Refn said. You know, it's just a kind of. Um, it can sometimes be in the, just the speed at which they approach you from the monitor after a take. Mm-hmm. You kind of know exactly 
what their intention is and by the time they've got to you you know exactly what they say you, they turn around and go sit back and you do another take and okay. uh, I very much had that with Adam like we I was obviously well maybe not obviously I, I wasn't your first choice for David in the guest at the time I'd lost a lot of weight for Kenny Christo in Walk Among the Tombstones and was mm -hmm. very wiry but when I read the script it was genuinely one of the funniest things I'd ever read I just thought it was so delightful it made me smile from ear to ear and I'd just seen Your Next which was Adam mm -hmm. and Simon's previous one which I thought was just so madly brilliant and I saw it in a big crowd at uh, the LA Film Fest uh, a couple of years ago and um, no a year or so ago and um, it was just one of those films that's so great to see in a crowd you get that you know, once the crowd decide that you have permission to laugh a little bit at this, because mm. people aren't used to sort of laughing at a horror film necessarily or laughing in that way at an action thriller. But once you're given permission to laugh, it just kind of takes off and it's a riot. And uh, anyway, I sat down with Adam and within minutes it became very apparent that we had the same sort of twisted sense of humour really and that we'd have a lot of fun making this movie. And uh, so I promised him that I'd go away and, and you know, get into shape and, and, and do all that. But... Um, but no, you know, by the time we got on set and we we immersed ourselves so much in this uh, in this thing, there's not a lot of wordy direction that needs to be given sometimes, you know. Mm. Um, but uh, but no, it was great fun working with Adam and Simon as well. They're a great duo. Uh, speaking of the the gym work, there was an amazing description of your physique in this movie. Um, in, I think in an interview you did recently, it was preposterously buff. <laughs> I just like the idea of you being in the gym and there had being like a sort of a, an arrow pointing to like buff, very buff. No, we and need then preposterous. You pass preposterous, Harder. bells ring, you can go. <laughs> this is despicably buff. It's pretty buff. You've got your abs have got their own Twitter feed. Outlandishly buff. Um, yeah. Do you I, follow your abs on Twitter? Do, I, do they have their own uh, Twitter handle now? Okay. I should, I will. Know where um, they are, what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, I should. I'd love to know where they've gone. Um, I need to check this either or, or set up the account myself. <laughs> yeah, while we're here, we should find out what, yeah. what my abs are up to right what now. They um, <laughs> they're, at the, they're at the Ivy right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Who knew? What is it that you had to eat during that, that process? Because you hear a lot of stories of actors who have to do that quite intense bulking up yeah. uh, and eating an enormous number of chickens is there anything that you co probably couldn't eat now that you've been well I've, I've actually been off uh, been off meat altogether this year I, I ate so many different animals last year um, that I sort of felt like I needed to redress the balance a bit I think you know balance is a good thing and uh, I ate a lot of cows a lot of chickens <laughs> a lot of pigs uh, drank a lot of weird shakes you know every two hours literally just piling on the protein and you know there was quite a careful nutritional program it wasn't just um you know i wasn't left to my own devices because that can be kind of dangerous and and uh but also just working really hard in the in the gym and um getting into martial arts as well which was um not something i'd done since sort of you know six-year-old judo kind of thing which is not quite the same thing and uh yeah the, it was really the discipline of it i think uh that influenced a lot of the character um, got me into a, a certain mindset for that role, which uh, was very cool. Not, it was a kind of exploration I'd not had the chance to to do before, and uh, it was very, very interesting. The, the the psychological and emotional effects of that kind of physical transformation I'd really underestimated. I think you you, you mentioned that um, Adam I think had seen Terminator, the Terminator, <laughs> when he got this idea of a returning Adam's seen the Terminator a lot of times. <laughs> <was, yeah. laughs> what, what's yeah. this movie I should watch? <laughs> but he'd seen it the night before. He yeah. he met up, didn't he? With well, the story I as I receive it, and I, I you know we might as well just go with it and embellish it. Why not? Uh, is that Simon, who is a very prolific and brilliant writer, had a 
a script on the go. It was a kind of PTSD returning soldier drama, and, and it <clears throat> it wasn't quite clicking for one reason or another. And I think every writer has one of those scripts knocking about. It's like I really there's something to be said here. Don't go on how to say it, and it was it wasn't going anywhere. Sat down for a coffee with Adam one morning, and Adam, as Adam does, uh, the previous night had watched back to back the Terminator and Halloween, which. It's a great combo, it turns out. And he also uh, sent me away to watch Terminators 1 and 2 back-to-back one night, which I'd never done before. I'd never watched them as a double feature, mm. which is an awesome experience, by the way, if you haven't. I'm sure you guys have. But um, <laughs> anyway, they put their mad heads together and, and, and the guest popped out, really. Um, you know, and there is... Uh, I think if you if you talk to Simon, uh, there is a, a kind of message in there somewhere about, uh, about uh, private military companies, possibly... But ultimately, it's a celebration of a lot of those movies that we loved growing up. And actually, Adam and Simon and myself, you know, from very different backgrounds all over the all over the world, all over the planet. But we had grown up on almost exactly the same kinds of film. And, and uh, it's really nice to sort of pour that that kind of enthusiasm into a into a project sometimes. Did he give you a list of other movies as well? Or did you uh, did you have anyone else in mind? Any other great iconic action characters, for example, when you were? Yeah, I mean, um, there were a number. I very often now ask a director to give me a little kind of homework list of, of movies. Um, apart from anything else, I just like expanding my sort of cinematic vocabulary, and, and <laughs> but it also helps you get in the get in the world that this this guy is wanting to create. So, mm. you know, Scott Frank, for example, sent me away to watch Clute and Dirty Harry and the Conversation and those kind of seventies noirish thrillers. Mm. And with Adam, he sent me away to watch a, a bunch of movies, and I'd seen pretty much all of them. Um, you know, the Canon films, the Carpenter movies, uh, the Stepfather was one that came up. Um, oh, yeah. And yeah. you know, I threw in there um, Lindsay Anderson's If, which is Ooh. one of my favourite films of all time, and um, you know, has a very, I think, a very kind of bleakly comic take on extreme violence, mm-hmm. way ahead of its time, really. That movie, mm. but. Um, what else was in there? I mean, Adam's a huge Kubrick fan, um, so there's elements of you know uh, of that in there, and all of these directors kind of address violence in in their own ways, really. And um, and Adam has a you know a very uh, particular take on it, I think. I have to leap in. Um, sure. It, the ending of F, which is sort of the exact halfway point between the Battle of Algiers and Monty Python, because <laughs> it strikes a very deliberate, very very difficult to hit tone, a little bit like the guest. Yeah. Uh, we, it comes up in this podcast from time to time, and we're still trying to figure out why it has an extra dot on the ellipsis of the title. <laughs> and you're a man of knowledge. I thought maybe you might know. Does it have four? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point, isn't it? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, and I, that's really the first time I kind of considered that. But I think I had noticed it before, but you're right. It's the sort of dots. stuff. We do delve into some minutiae on this podcast. <laughs> no, I, I, like, I love stuff like that, because I'm a big fan of dot, dot, dot anyway. Yeah. I use it way too much. Um, but... Uh, but four dots. Yeah. Maybe just Who take can it we ask? one we dot learn. here. We should ask everybody who comes into the podcast. We should put it out there on Twitter. Absolutely. Let's do it. We'll tweet uh, you know, Dan Stevens abs and we'll see <laughs> if they. Dan Stevens <laughs> yeah. dot 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 dot. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What's the answer? Um, as well as the, the gym work and as well as the homework you were doing for this, I was interested in, in the secrets of a good stare. Because David in this has uh, a terrifying, implacable stare. We won't go too much into into spoiler territory, but uh, right from the off, he's capable of of looking someone in the eye, or not even in the eye, and just scaring the shit out of them. So how do you do it? Do you go away? Do you look in the mirror for ages? (laughs) You just have to look at Adam Wingard, really. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's it. I don't know. It It was fun. It was fun. There's definitely, you know, there's... It's one of the darker 
roles I've, I've taken on um, and uh, it was very interesting to go there um, it's, it's a, it sounds horribly kind of name droppy in a way but one of my first jobs ever one of my first sort of paid acting gigs was a it was a Hallmark TV adaptation of Frankenstein mm -hmm. and those Hallmark jobs are hilarious because you film in Eastern Europe and they fly out all of these ridiculous names from America and so we had Donald Sutherland show up for a week and Julie Delpy was in it but one of the people they threw out was William Hurt and wow. he came out and did two or three weeks on this thing I was 21 maybe and I was you know playing a sort of foppish Englishman as I was doing quite a lot of in those <laughs> days and uh Anyway, I sort of got, got to hang out with William Hurt, which was a, an absolute dream. And this one day, it was filming was delayed by some technical thing, and it was just him and me, him and I, he and I, William and I, dot, 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 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sat in this room. And um, we had this really, really intense conversation that's never quite left me. And, and one of the things I remember him talking about was I, I, I was interested in his method and his preparation and how you get into those dark roles because he's played some very very dark characters and I adore him in that mode mm. and um, like how do you do that because obviously you know everyone kind of misunderstands the method anyway oh you're playing a, a guy in a burger joint you're going to flip some burgers for a few weeks you're playing a murderer you're going to murder some people <laughs> no but one of the things he did say was that that any darkness conceivable is within all of us yes which coming out of William Hurt's mouth was one of the scariest <laughs> things I'd ever heard. But that, that, that attitude has never really left me, and I, I never quite understood it um, until more recently, and just kind of started, you know, it's roles like Kenny Cristo in Tombstones and, and mm. David in The Guest that, that begin to afford that kind of exploration. And um, yeah, it's fascinating and terrifying, but, but yeah, I, I, you know, why not? Let's let's owe it to William Hurt, um, uh, who scared the shit out of me as a, <laughs> as a young man. <laughs> You've mentioned uh, Walk Among the Tombstones, which is also out this month. It is, yeah. Um, and it's another film I, I, I greatly enjoyed. Uh, I, um, and I, I was kind of wondering, are you deliberately, in a way, setting out to do things that are so different from Downton? Because I imagine the, the, the easy shorthand at the moment is to go Dan Stevens as you've never seen him before. But I imagine in, say, 10, 15 years' time, you want people to be able to go, well, if you want to see Dan Stevens as you've never seen it before, watch Downton Abbey. <laughs> Maybe. Um, there's been, a, I have to say, in the last couple of years, there have been a number of films where that tagline will, will be applied, I think. Mm. Um, you know, Tombstones is different again to the guests. It's, it's very dark and it's not, um, not quite as funny. Um, no. Not too many gags in that one. You're playing um, a, a grieving drug dealer in that one. Drug trafficker. Revenge. Drug trafficker. Yeah, yeah there, is there, there, there is a distinction. <laughs> He's preposterous amount of product. Preposterous. Then it's a trafficker. Preposterously well-read drug trafficker. <laughs> um, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I guess they yeah they're more in a, in the same sort of realm of the Venn diagram. But then you know, Night at the Museum was <laughs> totally off the scale in terms of you know, but but what I kind I, I like that there's a sort of I like the sense that there's a bit of a through line in, in some of the things I've been doing, and, and that might surprise you when you see them. But, mm. um, but you know, for me, Night at the Museum was an action comedy. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of action for me in that, and a lot of, uh, you know, swordsmanship required, and, 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 a, and a certain kind of martial art, you know, broadsword being mm. a European martial art form, mm. uh, and having done quite a bit of a, you know, more oriental form of martial art uh, for the guest, I was sort of kind of in that mindset really of, of sort of being you know martially prepared for for Lancelot and um and that as well kind of informing the 
sort of strident confidence of this ridiculous character. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've just been enjoying that experience of, of, of you know seeing me in different moulds, and you know I'm not actively trying to put out any kind of message other than you know that I'm you know I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm sort of taking on some different challenges really. Lancelot could sit nicely in the sort of middle of that Venn diagram because he's obviously an aristocrat who lives in a world of violence. So yes. he's sort of a bit of both. Who would win in a joust between your Lancelot and John Cleese's? <laughs> do you think? Um, I think I think mine every time, unless he he you know uh, unless he fired a cow in my <laughs> my general direction or something. I think I'm fusing a few different scenes there, but yeah, um, yeah. I don't think I could withstand the cow. You have a horse rather than coconuts. Lavash. <laughs> Run away, Fetche Lavash. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. I uh, did an interview the other day with uh, Liam Neeson about Tombstones, actually, and uh, I asked him, "Is he intimidating to other actors?" <laughs> what did he say? He said he doesn't think he is. I don't think he is either. Okay. I expected to be much more intimidated by Neeson. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's Neeson. <laughs> yes. You know, Neeson walks in the room. It's Neeson. Um, but he's a he's a real he's a very very sweet man and. Um, I think if you want to understand Liam Neeson better, you know, beyond perhaps the Taken films or something, I really recommend you watch the Lego movie. Uh, <laughs> in which, seriously, yes. he, he pl- his good cop, bad cop is yes. astonishing, preposterously good. I told him as much last week, and uh, no, he he uh, he really enjoyed that. I think, and I really, I just loved that movie. I'd like to talk about the Lego movie for about an hour now, if we can. But yeah, uh, why not? Everything is awesome <laughs> after all. Um, yeah. But no, I I just think uh, he. Uh, He's a very brilliant man, and he, he, you know, he's king of that sort of hard-boiled noirish genre at the moment. And um, you know, to sort of step into that world for the first time, you know, for me and, and for a number of the other actors in the cast, actually, it was quite, you know, a number of younger actors who from different kind of backgrounds thrown into that world. But when you're going there with Neeson, you feel mm. like you're in good hands, really. But uh, he keeps things pretty pretty light and casual offset because it's you know especially when the material is so dark i think mm. it's kind of nice to you know to not get too uh not get too crazy with it i think because that can really i think that can affect you but i imagine if you if your phone goes and there's liam neeson you must get a quite a, a slight frizz on a fear in case he's about to say i will find you and <laughs> i will kill you would you know there is a, there is a scene in the movie where he's on the phone and uh with the kidnappers and yeah. it was very late one night and he just you know I think to keep everyone awake more than anything, he just turned around and said, "I will find you, and I will kill you." And it just brought, brought the house down. It was great. And he's very he's very aware of uh, of all that. Yeah, and that's, awesome. It's very cool. And uh, two very last quick fire questions for me. Uh, you have been linked recently with Snake Plissken <laughs> in the remake of Escape from this New York. This is so funny. I was told this in an interview yesterday by okay. I think an Irish journalist that this was happening. <laughs> just only Irish journalists can ask you this it, question. It really was. It was. I was. Like, I think it was like live on air or something. And he and he said, "So you're playing Snake Plaskett?" And the, the first it was news to me. Um, it's a very funny rumor. Um, it's one of my favorite films. I don't even think they're doing a remake, are they? But, they are. Um, they are. They, they are now. They, yeah, they are okay. now. Yeah. Well, there we go. Haven't you been told? I must call my agent. You start on. You start next Wednesday. <laughs> I must leave you? immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but if you do play Snake Plissken, please use that as the voice. I must leave immediately. I must leave, I must leave New York. We must escape New York. This yeah. is old York. And if you <laughs> just escape York. <laughs> we must leave and go to Weatherby. And uh, two eye patches, please, if you can. Just. <laughs> See how that might work. Oh, that's the ticket. But anyway. uh, and yeah. uh, in your future, 
Because yeah. uh, I think the guest is going to be huge. Um, you, in your future, is there going to be, for example, a Marvel movie? Because I can see Chris Evans' contract is, as Captain America is coming to an end. <laughs> I can see you stepping into his... his I was going to say helmet, but that's the wrong word. Uh, <laughs> stepping into his shield. Because in a way, David... Step into his shield. Step into his like shield. the Venus de Milo. <laughs> surf across the Atlantic. Hello, Just, uh, everybody. just arm his shield. Um, um, apparently there's a Captain Britain. There is a Captain Britain, yes. Uh, I didn't know this until uh, this week. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the thing about those kind of films is that I, they're so... It just seems so um, fantastical, the idea of doing one of those films, that, you know... If the opportunity comes along, then mm-hmm. then you know we'll see. But it's it's not something I've I've sort of um, you know I'm not leaving this room to make that phone call. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to talk about Escape from New York first, I think. Um, but we'll see. I mean, you know, David in the guest for me is a is a sort of superhero all on his own. Really, you know, he's kind of got his own yeah. little uh, little Marvel verse. Um, so right. I, you know, that, if that's as if that's as uh, as superhero as it ever gets, I'll be mm-hmm. very very happy. Uh, Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much nice for coming, to see you guys. Thanks Thank very you. much. Cheers. Thank you. Let's start the review section with the guest. It is my film of the week. Helen, why don't you start off with this one and then I will join in. Okay, I look the, forward uh, to it. With the pom-poms and the cheerleading. Oh, I'll just amazing. listen. <laughs> Thanks. Nick, you, do, you Nick, nod. Do as little as you possibly can. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> what are you just like? Okay, so the uh, basic setup of this is that Dan Stevens plays... Um, a returning soldier from combat operations in Afghanistan. Uh, and he visits the family of one of his dead comrades to, you know, bring them comfort and, and, and talk about their son. and Sikor, and you might even Sikor say. even, mm-hmm. yes. Um, and, and they, you know, thrilled to have this connection to their lost son, invite him to stay. And he, he swiftly makes himself pretty much, you know, a part of the family. He's kind of a surrogate son for, uh, for sh- the mother who's played by Sheila Kelly um, he goes drinking with a dad um, he's kind of a, an older brother slash crush to the, the teenage brother and sister um, so he, he kind of inveigles himself into their their world only it becomes apparent that maybe everything is not quite as it seems mm. when there start being dead bodies around the place yeah I love this movie it's one of my films of the year so far uh, absolutely blew me away this film is hilarious uh, the reason I said comedy twice action comedy horror comedy it is both of those things but the it, the comedy is as black as they come yeah. in this movie uh, it's extraordinary uh, Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett as a screenwriting directing team uh, Adam Wingard also does his own editing because he's sickeningly talented um, uh, they also uh, were responsible for A Horrible Way to Die which was good and your next, which was very good, and now this, I think, is their first legitimately great film. Very, very promising, and they're stepping away from the sort of the, the horror tropes. Although there is a lot of the Terminator in here, and there's a lot of Halloween as well. A little bit of uh, Shane Meadows' Dead Man's Shoes in a way, and it's it's about a psycho from the psycho's POV, uh, <laughs> but it's a completely gonzo, lurid, yeah. garish movie that is is just completely off the wall and very very charming and it hinges completely on the performance of Dan Stevens as uh, as David and uh, yeah he's a ready made movie star from the minute he walks on he has so much charisma uh, because David as you say inveigles his way into people's lives he is charming he's very very softly spoken but there's something about him that's slightly off and he has this great line in just blank stares blank terrifying stares that is, is just utterly hilarious and then later on when the bullets start flying and uh, the man from Danton Abbey gets a little Danton stabby uh, it's <laughs> it's not my line I think that, that was from somewhere else um, uh, it, it's very very 
very funny indeed. Yeah, I have to say, I saw uh, recently. I saw a, a film that had sat on the shelf for a couple of years called Vamps, mm. um, Amy Heckerling film, uh, and it's and Dan Stevens appears in that, and like he's good in that, but the film is so bad it left me with the taste in my mouth, and it was a relief to see this instead and be reminded that this dude is going places fast. Absolutely, and he, yeah, I, I, we talked about it on the interview, but. Um he's been linked with Snake Plissken he's been linked with a number of roles off the back of Liss mm. and this role is just I think it's a star making role it really is in the same way that Ryan Gosling in Drive was I know he'd been around before that and even been Oscar nominated before that but that, that was the role that I think made many people look at look at him and go oh there's an action here there's a guy who could do action I think Dan Stevens is Ryan Gosling to the power of 10 I'll be honest with you and there's real potential here I went into it going yeah he's been linked to Snake Plissken don't see it at all came out of it going oh yeah I can absolutely see that uh, he can handle the physical side uh, of stuff as well yeah. very, so, very lo- cool. so long cousin Matthew absolutely fairly well spoiler spoiler alert uh, four stars for the guest you know what I might even be tempted to go a star extra but uh, <gasps> but it is one of my films of the year I absolutely loved it having said that Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett are sick puppies it probably reflects poorly on me that I love this film so much but it is very 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 good indeed uh, next up speaking of psycho thrillers is uh, Before I Go to Sleep Rowan Chaffee's movie uh, based on the huge novel by uh, S.J. Watson uh, this one stars Nicole Kidman as a woman with retrograde amnesia which means she loses her memory effectively every day she has to be retold rebooted if you will every day uh, by Colin Firth who plays her overprotective husband and Mark Strong who lurks in the shadows being all shadowy and Baldy. Lurky, yeah. <laughs> Lurky <laughs> as her potentially shady therapist. Hells bells. Yeah, this is uh, this is an interesting one. It starts off very, very creepy and and kind of forces you to to consider what it would be like to wake up every morning and not remember the last essentially twelve years of your life. Um, so that's the situation of Nicole Kidman and a rather weary and kind of downtrodden uh, Colin Firth. Every morning has to have the same conversation and explain that he's her husband and show her the pictures on the wall of their marriage and just kind of orient her for the day. And then later on in the morning, she gets this call going, oh, your husband doesn't know about me, but we're uh, you're seeing me for therapy. Uh, I'm trying to help you with your memory issues. Uh, come out and meet me, uh, from Mark Strong's character. So it's a, it's a little bit of a kind of discomforting setup. And Nicole Kidman's character starts to uh, record, video record little snippets of herself. And it becomes clear that something is amiss and something is not right. And she's trying every day, essentially starting from zero, Mm -hmm. to figure out what that is. And the first two thirds of this film are genuinely very, very good. They're they're very creepy. Uh, You don't know what to believe. You don't know who to trust. You don't know if she she can trust herself at all. Um, And then the last third goes into kind of straight thriller territory and isn't quite so effective but up until that point really really good indeed and as you'd expect with this cast absolutely brilliant performances um, and Ron Joffe gives it a really nice kind of cold grey suburban look which actually works really well for kind of reflecting all of their mental states so good but just not as good as I wanted it to be given the first half so we give it three stars three stars for Before I Go to Sleep You've always got the novel, though. You've always got the exactly. Uh, cool. Uh, two ranchy comedies as well this week, or raunchy? I don't know what what the hell that was. Ranchy comedies. Uh, it's a million ways to die in the West. <laughs> <It is. laughs> oh no! Oh, sorry. flashbacks. Sorry, sorry. Flashbacks. First up is Sex Tape, in uh, which Jason Siegel and Cameron Diaz. Oh, this is topical, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my word. They Chris, are, who knew? They knew. <laughs> they knew. <laughs> they are. They are. They are soothsayers. Uh, yes. So. 
Uh, Jason Siegel and, and Cameron Diaz are a married couple. They're trying to inject some spice into their life, uh, which has become a little bit jaded by having by re- by recording a sex tape, which then, <laughs> when you know it, gets uploaded to the uh, the cloud, and then it's then synced to a number of iPads with Jason Siegel because this is what people do: they give out iPads to their friends, their family, and their postman. It's kind of explained away in the movie. They try and explain it away because otherwise, it's the sickening symbol of the one percent. But no, he's not a complete tosser. It's recycled iPads. Yes, still, it's pretty. Anyway, did you know? Anyway. That, did you know that was changed? In the original draft of the script, it was a DVD that got lost. Really? And they rewrote it. Yes. What they were trying to be all trendy. As, and yeah, such. clouds, mm. and because it's Ooh. been around a while. This it has. It was on the blacklist. This is another one of those uh, scripts that was on the blacklist, which is the uh, annual list of the greatest unproduced scripts in Hollywood uh, that more often than not turn out to be absolute clunkers. Hey, Chris, <laughs> Transcendence was on that list. Transcendence Take was that on that list. <laughs> I, I apologise to Transcendence, and I apologise <laughs> to uh, Kevin Smith's Cop Out, which was also on that list uh, on the, under the name A Couple of Dicks, which was prescient in itself. Whacklist, more like. Uh, Whacklist, indeed. Uh, So anyway, sex tape. Not to give too much away, but what's this one like? Yeah, not very good uh, at all, really. Um, It's kind of, it wants to be shocking and isn't. Uh, It wants to be funny and isn't. And Mm. it does quite often feel like an advert for iPads of feature length. Now, you know, I like an iPad as much as the next person. And I like an iPad as much as the next person. Available at the Apple... Store on Regent Street. Yeah. Absolutely. But, very competitively priced. <laughs> or Covent Garden, which is just down the road. For more details, just write in and we'll. <laughs> but really, I don't want to hear that for 90 minutes. You heard how boring it was there for 20, 20 seconds. So, uh, yeah, no, just, just a mess. How did you say that. I'm saying it's just a mess. There is a better uh, comedy option, though, this week, Chris. What is that? That is, they came together. I beg your pardon. Yes, they did. Which is the uh, is the the latest one from Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd, two of the most adorable and funny people on the planet. Uh, this is a kind of a spoof of rom com tropes, basically, um, by David Wayne, who made uh, Wet Hot American Summer, mm-hmm. and it is. It's all over the place, to be perfectly honest. Like the the tone veers wildly from scene to scene, from something quite uh, quite clever and narrow to something outrageously broad. Uh, but at the same time, I laughed pretty consistently for the whole ninety minutes. Mm. So it's not, if I'm honest, you know, a great film, but it is very very funny. This film divided a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people go, "This is one of the funniest films of the year," mm. and I've seen a lot of people as well on Twitter go, "Awful." One star. As I was coming out of the screening I saw it in, a girl in front of me said, well, that is the worst film I've ever seen. Now, she should get out of the cinema more, frankly, but it is. I I genuinely don't understand that because I I laughed the whole way through, and so did quite a lot of people in the cinema. One, if if you have not seen Wet Hot American Summer, you should track that down. It is a very funny film, and Paul Rudd is very funny in it. We do like Paul Rudd here. Uh, Also out this week is Life of Crime. Uh, which is uh, based on the Elmore Leonard novel The Switch and stars Jennifer Aniston. It's uh, it's three stars. It's fine. Uh, worthy of your time. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast in association with Squarespace. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by pretty much everyone from the Riot Club. So we got Sam Claflin, mm-hmm. Douglas Booth, sure. Max Irons, yep. Holiday Granger, yep. Jessica Brown-Findlay, Jessica Brown-Findlay, Pugh, Cuthbert, Dibble, Grub, they're all coming in. All got, you got Dibble? We got Dibble. No. Yeah, we got him. That's amazing. They say we couldn't get him, but we got him. So anyway, uh, they're going to be on the podcast. And the living legend living that is legend. 
Sir Roger Moore. Again, just nailed it. Spot on, 100%. Uh, absolutely accurate. It's like he's in the room. It's amazing. Uh, so Roger Moore will attempt re-entry to the pod booth. He's been on once before. He's going to be on it again. It's amazing. So that's very, very exciting. Until then, until that glorious moment, it's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from former InGen employee, Nick. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to give iPads to all my friends and family, but not my postman. Doesn't deserve it. Mean. Yeah, he's got a strange stare and a smelly moustache. iPads are great, aren't they? They are fantastic. Available at the Apple Store. See you next week. Bye. Bangly bang!